Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week we meet with you and discuss trending topics in the wine world. I am host Kim Simone here with my co-host Mark Lindsay. And how are you today, Mark? Everything is great, Kim. Always excited to talk wine with our listeners. Wonderful. Absolutely. And we are here in the dead of winter, but we are still talking about wine and what gets us excited about wine and want to bring some of that information and knowledge to you, our listeners. So uh, we have a couple of articles to talk about today. And the first one is something that we touch on every once in a while. And there are ups and downs, I would say, with the popularity of pretty much everything. And wine is no exception. And uh, we have an article from Wine Searcher, which uh, is a website that that we love and gives us a lot of not only articles, but also is a great way to search for pretty much everything that is out there and available uh, in the wine market. And it's wine not being invited to the cool kids party. And I think that this ties in a little bit with not only that ups and downs of popularity, but also who's to say what's cool and what's not cool. And sometimes wine is considered to be a fun, cool thing. And other times it's considered to be a little stodgy and boring and stuffy. Where do we land on the uh, on the wine spectrum, Mark? I think we try to make wine cool. Yeah, well, we love talking about it and hopefully get people interested in it. But I guess the trend has been, it's not been very popular. We're talking about during the COVID lockdown, wine was way up. But after like December 2020, it's it started to plummet way down. And they were kind of comparing that to what's going on in the restaurant industry because they're saying mm-hmm. in the restaurant industry, spirits are way up. Yeah. Wine is way down. But there's, there's so many factors out there. There's always new products coming out in the in the liquor industry that take away from somebody. And it looks like it's taking away from wine. And yeah. that affects the younger generation. And I guess, Kim, the trend would be if you don't start dabbling in wine when you're younger, you may not pick it up later on. It's kind of maybe the gist they're going for. But why are we seeing wine down? They're seeing the wine costs maybe two times more than other things. Mm-hmm. Most drinkers uh, taking part in other beverages, the salsa movement was very huge again this year and like only 15% of the population they're saying are wine consumers. So yeah. that's very low. And I think a lot of it is we're focusing on a surprisingly small percentage of the population. That's out there that only of Americans actually consume any alcoholic beverages at all. And only a tiny percentage of that are daily wine drinkers or weekly wine drinkers, you know, people who consider themselves to be regular wine drinkers. So I think that a lot of it is that we are focusing on a fairly small number of people if you look at the entire population of the country. But also, it's been such a wacky couple of years. And when you're focusing on those restaurant stats, this is we're in uncharted territory when it comes to 
restaurant dining, what is going on in restaurants, who's working in restaurants, who's going to restaurants, restaurants just trying to keep themselves afloat. So I think part of it is that with the pandemic and with people going out and wanting to have an experience going out to eat, that I think that a lot of consumers feel like they get more bang for their buck if they get cocktails when they go out. And I would say that mixology and interesting cocktail preparation and ingredients has been really big for the last few years. And I think if people want to go out and have a special time, getting a cocktail seems more special sometimes than ordering a bottle of wine because it's easy for you to go to your local liquor store and get a special bottle of wine, but it might not be as easy for you to go home and make that really cool cocktail that you had at a restaurant. So I'm wondering if some of this is that experience for people, that they're less likely to be ordering wine at a restaurant because they are trying to do something different and something a little bit more special before their meal. That's a good point. A lot lately, too, is is not helping this, is that there's been issues with shipping things Mm -hmm. overseas. There's been a lot less products being found on the shelves. So that's not helping people to get into drinking wine. Yeah. Um, But we always, always, I mean, since time immemorial, I mean, there's always this hand wringing (laughs) by people in the wine industry that younger people aren't drinking wine. It's like, oh, this happened. This hap- is happening now. It happened in the 90s. It happened in the 70s. It happened in the 60s. You know, this is not a new thing. This is normal, honestly. Like, you don't get a lot of wine drinkers in their 20s. People are drinking beer. People are drinking cocktails. People have to get a little bit older, I think, before they get tired of those things and settle down a little bit and want to explore wine. Like I think there's one there there's a difference between having a glass of Chardonnay at your cousin's wedding versus going to a wine class and learning about Chardonnay. And I think that it takes a little bit more time on your hands. Frankly, it takes a little bit more, I don't want to say disposable income, but figuring where you want to put some of your entertainment dollars. And if you have a little bit of those and you want to learn about wine and put them in there, then generally, if you're 22, you're not going to be necessarily doing that. I mean, I did, but I mean, it's me. So. Right. No, makes sense. Do you think there's too much negative attention in the news that kind of turns people off on wine as well? Because when you hear things in the news about wine, it's that this fire has wrecked all the wine uh, or this bad climate that's wrecking all the wine or you can't get the wine because, you know, you can't, the champagne is, can't be found. So people hearing maybe all this negative about wine, you, you usually don't hear um, that about your favorite spirit. And as far as salsa, all you heard was, oh, salsas are huge. They're very popular. You don't yeah. really hear that good side of the stuff for wine. You hear the but bad I don't. But I don't stuff. think that. I don't think that hearing that is necessarily going to then translate in someone's brain to, oh, I don't want to try wine. Yeah. You know, I think I think or I bigger... shouldn't try it. You don't think people think no. maybe I shouldn't try it no, because the climate is so. bad and they're saying no. it's... I almost feel like it's the opposite. Like it's a FOMO, a fear of missing out. It's like, oh, well, now if you see that wine, maybe you should try it because yeah. it might not be available 
in the future because of these fires. I think more what is what people might be seeing in the news is more related to, you know, like the health conscious idea of drinking less alcohol or having fewer carbs or sugar or whatever in your diet. I think it's less about wine specific and more about alcohol in general, which doesn't seem to have stopped people from drinking heart ciders and other things. So or right. heart seltzers. I wanted to talk to you about something they mentioned in the article so our listeners can understand this as well, Kim, was they talked about depletion versus sales. So a lot of times they base how things are moving in the liquor industry of how they're being sold. But there's two ways of looking at this. Depletion is when a restaurant or a store orders the wine from somebody to stock it. And then the sale would be when a customer buys it. So just because a lot of stores or restaurants are buying a lot of wine doesn't mean it's really selling to the general right. public. And you, having worked in wine sales, you know, for say a distributor, all they care about is it's not in their warehouse. Mm -hmm. But if it's sitting in my store, I, I know, you know, what's happening as far as sales. And that's, right. the, that's the key. So do you think when they're saying wine's missing out on this cool kids party, it's, they have to be seeing huge amounts of depletion going out of the wineries. So you think they're looking at it on the other end and how would they even know that? Because I think I, they base yeah. everything on the, the people I'm buying from. Right. And I can only imagine that during COVID periods, you have more depletions from retailers and less depletions from restaurants. And we know that the restaurant segment has gotten hit so hard over the last almost two years now that this is not business as normal, business as usual. So if you're looking at what restaurants are buying and depletions by restaurants, you are getting a very different picture from what normally is. So I think it's very difficult to be looking at those numbers and saying, oh, you know, wine sales are down. It's like, well, of course, wine sales are down. Half the restaurants in the country have closed or they don't have the staff to sell the wine and to make those recommendations. So therefore, they're not selling as much wine in the restaurant. So I think that that is a big part of what is going on here. And a lot of sales have been down over the past two years because you just can't get the product. Right. So it's down because it's not out there to sell. So I think there are a lot of factors. And I know that it's people's livelihood. It's people's business. Winemakers are going to continue to make wine. And then therefore, they need to continue to sell the wine. But I feel like in five years, we're going to come out of, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> all right, I'm going to rephrase. We will come out of this situation that we are in right now. And in five or, year, five or 10 years time, when we look back at this period that we are currently in, hopefully we will see that it is a blip and that people may do as best they could and that we probably shouldn't be overreacting to the crazy numbers that we're seeing right now because this is a point in history that is very unusual and that is not business as usual and that will hopefully be righted once we come out the other side of this thing and life can go back to some semblance of normal. So the Wine Searcher article mentioned the 20 to 30-year-olds are not drinking wine right now. So in that five to 10-year thing you're looking at, Kim, do you think the 25, 30, 35, 40-year-olds now are going to start 
See, I don't think that 20 to 20 to 25 year olds generally drink wine in any decade. So you don't think there's nothing that the wine industry could do to bring these people back? No, no, no. Maybe they maybe they could. But I'm not I mean, I am not a marketing savvy person, so I don't know what. Yeah, we've never I mean, no one has ever been able to get, you know, newly 21 turned people in the U.S. to immediately become fine wine drinkers. No, (laughs) I mean, I I, I feel like we're fighting against just I don't want to say human nature, but I guess you wanted to go with there's a big thing now with these social media influencers, and it seems very a high amount of them are pushing wine. To me, as an older wine consumer, a lot older wine consumer, I don't see any value to the wine world if I'm on someone's Instagram page and they're just holding a bottle of wine and high heels like that to, doesn't draw me to the product right? to drink wine. So I, I don't know what the whole focus, I don't know if the big companies are going to these people to promote it and think people are going to drink the wine based on that. There's no story behind. There's nothing really behind it. Yeah. Why should I drink it? Why, yeah, I know? agree. Does that make sense? I agree. I think part of it is that's that the, as we spoke about in the going. so remember last week we spoke about the romance of wine. Yeah. I think that social media influencer folks who are showing themselves with a glass of wine in a fancy location, someplace exotic, someplace you don't live and you want to be there. I think that having wine in those environments, it's not about the wine itself. It's about what does wine stand for? And wine stands for relaxation, luxury, letting yourself be relaxed, fine food, enjoying and ha- taking pleasure in your senses. Like, I think that that is what it's saying. It's not about the wine itself. It's about what is me having a glass of wine saying about the whole package. Right. So I don't think that it's necessarily like, be like me and have this glass of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand because it tastes like citrus and blah, 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 blah. I think it's more, look at me, I'm drinking wine. And in your mind... You, the consumer of that media, you are attaching that romance to the wine. You are attaching that idea of luxury, relaxation. You're obviously not working. You are in a leisure time. Like think that it's that and that it's this, that perception of wine is part of this package. And so therefore, I think that's why wine folks want that younger generation to include wine in that. And maybe eventually it will, somebody goes on vacation and they're like, oh yeah, you know, this seems like the kind of environment that I should be drinking a glass of wine in. So if you go to Portugal, you go to Italy, or you go to France, or you go to someplace that has a wine culture, you're going to be drinking a glass of the local wine instead of a cocktail, perhaps. So maybe that's where it will play up, but probably not when you are in your local liquor store. Wine marketing is just puzzling to me because they went with, say, like Snoop Dogg to promote wine <laughs> and they grab some people, right? But then the same company now is using Martha Stewart. Well, Snoop and Martha, you so know, they go together. They go and- together, but it's like, are you thinking that the younger generation is going to buy Martha Stewart wine because they bought the Snoop Dogg wine? And are we only trying to get people to drink wine based on that instead of what's actually 
in there or why they should drink it or you know it's like but people why? drink but people choose their wines based on a number of different factors and i think the flavor of the wine is probably like two three or four on that list yeah well that's what the trend is in the liquor with tequila everybody celebrity in the world is coming out with the yeah. tequila and they're selling like crazy mm-hmm. and, and they're taking away that wine drinker so I, it's just baffling how things, you know, go back. Like you said, it'll come back. You know, it's all cyclical. In. It's yeah. all cyclical. But I liked how they said the wine not inviting the cool to the cool <laughs> party. You know, so I, I, wine is cool, and we know that, right, Kim? But geeky. But I mean, when I was 23, 24, my peers were not drinking wine. We were drinking cocktails. We were drinking beer. I was unusual in that I was taking wine classes. There were not a lot of people of my age in a wine class. And I have to say that I'm really impressed by the number of younger students that we have in some of our Commonwealth Wine School classes. And not just people in the industry, but people who are like sincerely interested in learning more about wine. But I don't think that it's necessarily something that is ever going to be a right off the bat, this is what you get into. I think it's something that develops. So, I mean, like I said before, you know, people have been wringing their hands over how to get younger wine drinkers for decades. So I think this is just part of the cyclical nature of what people drink as they age and how we get people to learn to appreciate wine at maybe a younger age or maybe not. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lanzi and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We're here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We love any questions or comments. For more information about Kim, please go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. You can find myself at franklinliquors.com. Next, we want to talk about an article that is in a pretty new website that uh, we found called pixwine p-i-x-wine.com and they put a lot of nice information out there came out about wine and this one i really like because they were saying why do people fall in love with one particular wine what is the psychology behind supporting just one wine or one brand and not wanting to ever change mm-hmm I thought it was interesting. What'd I you love think? the I love the take on let's look at the psychology behind people's per, uh, buying choices. And what's interesting about applying this to wine is that I had always heard this same not tactic, but that this same psychological element was a little bit more predominant in spirits drinkers. That if you drink Smirnoff vodka you will continue to drink Spirnoff vodka. You are not going to try a different brand. And for beer drinkers as well, if you are a Bud Light guy, you are going to be a Bud Light guy. <laughs> you know, or if you drink Heineken, you're drinking Heineken. And it never, not never occurred to me, but it didn't occur to me that wine drinkers would also fall into this category of being very brand, what's the word I'm looking for? Not brand conscious, but like loyal, loyal to the brand. brand loyal. Yeah. And the first brand that they bring up in this article is Kendall Jackson and Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, which is 
really kind of a no-brainer when you talk about brand loyalty when it comes to wine. And I think we see this often with other styles of wine, but I think for wine, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit broader. Like sometimes it's not just a particular brand, but a style has its own brand as well. So like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc can kind of be seen as a brand because so many of them, frankly, are very similar to each other, but also they can be pleasing to the drinker. If you like one brand, chances are you will probably like another one. I thought it was a good point to mention one of the big brands, Kendall Jackson. And looking at it that if that's your brand and that's what you drink all the time, the way you're probably comfortable with, because you know it, you know what you're getting. It's the familiarity. Familiar. And then the other thing they mentioned that I'd never really thought of is they also know how much you can drink of that. I never thought of that either. It was a great point. Like I can drink and I relate that back to the Bud Light guy. I can drink 10 Bud Lights. I know because I can drink with Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. I drink it all the time. I know I can have two glasses, three glasses and I'm safe because that's my brand. I know it. Whereas if you tried another Chardonnay that night that might be a little higher in alcohol you're not used to. It can affect you. So I thought that was a good point. Yeah. What I and you would think that I would like have thought of this because there have been times where I, you know, if I'm used to drinking a wine that's like 12 percent and I have one and I have, you know, maybe two glasses of something that's like 16 percent, I am hurting. You know, <laughs> So sometimes it can sneak up on you and that makes sense. It's like, well, if the alcohol content of this particular wine is always the same, you know, like you, you know how it's going to make you feel and you know how your body is going to react to it. But thing that bugs me is being as a wine buyer, wine educator, wine drinker, I don't understand why people just stay with that brand no matter what. Like they're in a store, they have a chance to do something else, pick something else. They have no interest in changing the brand. So that pulls, you know, the psychology, why mm-hmm. they were looking into it. I'm sure marketing companies look into that as well. I mean, they just know what they're going to get and they stick to it. They know the benefit of sticking yeah. to it. And they, they mentioned something about exposure effect. The more you're exposed to something, the more you like it. And yeah. that's how we're I, taught to feed vegetables to children, right? You know, yeah. you need they need to try something at least like seven or eight times before they'll accept it. But on the other side of that, being in this industry, we know there's a lot of I think there's a lot of negatives to just doing that all the time. You, but it's you might safe. not have ever like I can understand a lot of people don't like change and don't like challenge and want to stick with what is safe and what is understood and what is known. So that part of it, I mean, I get that there is that aspect of human nature that sometimes we just want to not think about it, right? We want to have that safe known thing. And I I feel like that's one of the reasons why fast food franchises are so successful. A Big Mac anywhere is always going to be a Big Mac. You always know what you're going to get. As opposed to if you stop at a diner and you order something, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. And different people have different thresholds for that sort of, I mean, call it experimentation, call it risk. I think there is a lot of risk with trying new foods and drinks for a lot of people. For a lot of people, it's very scary to try 
something new when it comes to what you're eating and drinking. So I, on that side of it, I kind of get, I mean, on the wine professional side, I don't get, cause I'm going to like try whatever is put in front of me, but I get that. I get that psychological side of it. It's funny too. And over the years when some of these brands is sold out or changed hands, the people mm-hmm. still stuck with them because yeah. they know the brand, but they don't know the story of what the heck is going on with it now, or it's not even owned by I the know. same people or made by the same people. And I see very few people ever switching even at that point, even when right. I give them the little background of the product. Because I think at the end of the day, it doesn't come down to taste a lot of the time with wine. And I remember this happened with a brand of wine that I used to drink a lot of, and it changed hands. And I could tell that it was no longer of the quality that I expected and that I wanted to spend my money on. But I'm also really sensitive to that because I drink wine every day and I taste and I'm, I mean, I do this for a living. And Did you I, tell by taste or by change of the label? Something? No, some I could tell by taste. Just it, by was taste. A, it, was okay. a t- it was a taste thing. Okay. But I don't think that, I mean, the big picture of the wine was the same. It was just some of the subtle nuances and complexity weren't there anymore. So I don't think that people would necessarily be able to tell if you are a casual wine drinker and maybe you buy a bottle of this every, you know, maybe one a month or once every couple of weeks. I don't know that you'd be able to to tell. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Most but- of the time when, they, when that happens and a brand is sold or changes hands somehow, they try to make the style exactly the same. So yeah. if you're tasting a difference... Which which you did in that case, I would I would assume the people who are loyal to that brand would have tasted the difference yeah. as well. And I would so. think so. I mean, you know, if if a brand used to be from say something drastic, like all the grapes used to be from Napa, and then it became California wide, I would think that a change in flavor would be noticeable. But I think that there's also something with the psychology, uh, psychology, yes, of just brand loyalty in general and not just wine, but other consumer products too. Like maybe you're used to buying the same brand of, I don't know, kitchen sponges and they change materials. Like, do you necessarily notice, you know, I I don't know. Like, I don't think that this is just specific to wine. I made a note here about how can you change that? That was that you have to refresh my memory, Kim. Was this in the article of the points they made, how you can change, or did I just go off in my own direction here and write a note? No, there this? there was a little bit at the end. Um, okay, so let's kind of bring up a few things here for our listeners. If you're on one brand and you're thinking about changing, what are some of the things that can make you, or for, you not force you, but kind of push you in the direction of getting off that brand? Yeah. So one of them, um, one of the points they were talking about sort of changes in trends, but I think that that holds true for something new to the market. But I would say that in... That could be non-wine related as well. Non-wine related, sure. I mean... Seltzers or a beer. Right. So, I mean, obviously, seltzer drinker, hard seltzer drinkers have to be coming from somewhere, right? They're not all just recently turned 21-year-olds. So someone had to have been drinking something else and then changed to the hard seltzers. And and who knows? I mean, it might have come from a number of different drinks categories. But then they talked about making conscious decisions about supporting certain brands and from sort of an ethical perspective that sometimes you don't want to support a particular brand because you don't back their stance on social issues or other things that are going on um, 
with the either owners of that company or whatnot. But I think that a bigger part could be that if people just get out of the mindset of needing that safe space of always going to their particular brand. But I I think that that is hard to get out of and that sometimes getting people to try new wines, even if that wine is a free sample in your store can be very, very difficult. So I'm not sure what the solution is to get somebody out of that. And I, I hesitate to call it a rut because I don't think it's a rut. I think it is a, a, a conscious decision to you have what you drink. And soda drinkers are the same. I mean, you don't get Pepsi drinkers turning into Coke drinkers and you don't get Coke drinkers turning into Pepsi drinkers. And I think that a little bit of that brand loyalty you can see with some wine drinkers. That brand loyalty is really a comfort zone that's very hard to Yeah, change. it's a comfort very zone. Hard. It absolutely is. But one of the things you had mentioned, Kim, was learning something about the brand. I plead with the listeners out there, if you have a brand that you've always consumed and you just don't want to change, just if you've never researched it, just do some research on it. Maybe there's something you you won't like that's based on that brand. Uh, some brands are owned by tobacco companies. Some brands have very uh, pronounced political views. You just, what is it made of is what I'm saying. Go out there and just research. What am I drinking? If you've never just done that, stay loyal to it, but learn about your brand. Learn what you're really drinking and compare that to something else. Don't, I'm not saying go out and buy something else or taste, you know, change, but compare it to something else and see what you find. There's a lot of information out there. And if you can't find it, uh, call Kim. She'll help you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or Mark. He's the, 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 the king of Google. Dependent on the brand, right? But right. yeah, I just, this just baffles me how people, you know, one brand. And, and I'll laugh at myself because, you know, I'm in retail, so I can get really anything I want to take home. And there's nights I'm, I said, geez, I, I want to take home a wine. And I'm walking, you know, had that, had that, had that. I don't want to, you know, it's like I'm always mm -hmm. trying to find something different. Yeah. And I guess that's just the mentality. Uh, I just try to understand. Yeah. And that's you. And it's probably a lot of people because we certainly get a lot of people who do want to try new things. But my challenge to our listeners would be kind of to take that opposite route. And you hear about, you know, psychology, especially of teenagers and risk taking. And there's this concept of taking safe risks that your brain and your hormones and whatnot consider to be a risky maneuver. So you get extra pleasure out of them, like riding a roller coaster. It's perfectly safe, but your brain and your body doesn't necessarily realize that you're taking a safe risk. So I would say, let's apply that to trying a new wine or trying a new food that you're going to your brain is going to release new like risk chemicals so you feel like you're getting you're riding a motorcycle really fast yeah. <laughs> or you're you know you're taking some chance but it's a very safe chance because it's just buying a new bottle of wine so take that risk take that chance try something new you might be pleasantly surprised. It might not be a wine for you, which in which case you're going to be like, oh, this does not live up to my expectations. But you could be pleasantly surprised and your brain is not going to know the difference between trying a new bottle of wine and riding really fast on a motorcycle. 
Yeah, and if you do that, let us know, please. We want your feedback. If you're a listener that drinks the same thing over and over and you change based on something we've said today, please let us know. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And we will visit with you again next week on Franklin Radio 102.9. Cheers. Cheers.